As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Imagine you're charged with bolstering the sales of new condominiums in Detroit. Brand new, high-end condominiums with stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, squeakless floors, the works. You know exactly who your target persona is. Wealthy baby boomers who are downsizing into a more urban lifestyle now that their children have left them empty nested. And now they're looking for their next adventure. And you have a marketing budget that's driving traffic in the door. People are coming to look at these condominiums, but no one's buying. And it's your job to find out why. Well, that's what happened almost a decade ago to Bob Moesta. So we're going to take a look at how he solved this problem and the framework that came out of that solution that you can use every day in your own product decisions. Welcome. 
to rocketship.fm. The podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. And I'm Joelle Goldman. So if you're just joining us, this is the second episode in our product series. The first episode, we looked at the history of the baseball cap and what we could learn as product people from its evolution. And so today, we're going to be diving into jobs to be done, which is one of my favorite frameworks for product research and product development. So if you want to catch the full series, go back, listen to episode one and meet us right back here. And for everyone else, we're going to dive into jobs to be done. So when Bob Moesta was brought in to figure out why people weren't buying these condominiums in Detroit, the developers had already done a ton of work on the marketing and even the research side to try to figure this out, and no one could really crack the nut, so to speak. They had done a focus group, and Bay Windows was brought up, and all the participants were like, yeah, yeah, Bay Windows, that sounds great. So the architects scrambled to add Bay Windows, and as some of you who have seen these types of decisions being made could guess, sales didn't move. And so when Bob Moesta came in, he did the opposite. Instead of interviewing potential buyers, he went right to interview the people who had actually bought the condominiums to learn from them. And in those interviews, he started building out a timeline of their decision, starting with when they actually purchased and working all the way back. I talked to Eric White, who does Jobs to be Done Consulting, about what happened next. When he started talking to people and he, you know, he would frame he would frame the purchase around when they bought it, but then he would go back to when did they have their first thought about it. 90% of the time, people were having their first thought about moving into a condominium around the holidays. And it sounded to me like it had a lot to do with, you know, kids would come home, they'd bring the grandkids, they'd spend a couple of days, they would leave, and then the house just felt really big and empty. And they started thinking, you know, this isn't this isn't the way that we want to spend the next several years of our lives. Maybe we should Maybe we should move somewhere different. Now, at that time between that November and January benchmark, Bob's company had slashed their marketing budget to zero. And so they started allocating resources to advertise during the holiday season because that's when people were having their first thought. And it wasn't an aggressive, you know, hey, we've got condominiums for under $200,000 or, or whatever it was. It was, they were just starting to talk about, are you in this situation? And if you are, here's how we might be able to help. And so here's a situation where the data says people don't buy houses between November and January because of the holidays, which is true. But that doesn't mean they don't think about buying houses. That doesn't mean that that initial thought or an emotional trigger doesn't happen in that time frame. And so this is one of the foundations of jobs to be done, which is building a timeline of users' purchase decision and then figuring out what's called the forces of progress, which is what pushes people to a new solution and what pulls them away from actually switching. But the time of year when people started thinking about condominiums wasn't the only thing that Bob discovered in his research. The real reason people weren't buying goes much deeper. So as they continued to do these customer interviews, there really wasn't a clear demographic or psychographic profile 
that was coming in other than people who were downsizing, which was often uh, couples whose children had recently left. But other than that, they weren't able to really pin down why they were or were not buying the condos. And so one night around Christmas time, Bob Moesta is sitting around his dining room table with his family. And this was the point when he realized that every holiday, every birthday, every major event that his family had, they spent around the dining room table. Even mundane memories like helping kids with their homework, that happened oftentimes around this dining room table. Now, when they were doing the focus groups, they got a a much different story from potential buyers. People would say, we don't, you know, we don't need a dining room table. It's just going to be me and my husband. And it's just the two of us. Just give us a bar in the kitchen and put more, you know, give us a game room or give us more room in the bedrooms, um, in the spare bedrooms. But this is before what's known as the deciding phase. The deciding phase is the actual time frame when people are going to decide whether this product fits in their life. And during that deciding phase, he got a much different story. found is that it was really common for people to have this dining room table that if the dining room table wasn't going to fit in the condo and if none of their kids were going to take it, they felt like they they just weren't willing to get rid of it. They were not going to take that dining room table and put it on the, the curb. They were not going to take it to goodwill because there was so much family identity and experience wrapped up in that. You know, they look at the dining room table and they're thinking about birthday parties. And um, I, you know, I remember when I was a kid and, and a teenager and my parents needed to sit me down and have a very serious conversation with me. It always happened around the dining room table. And so there was all this family identity that was wrapped up in it that people just, it was this huge friction point um, that caused people to, to pause or just not go forward with moving from their old house to the, to the new condo. And so what started out as trying to figure out what kind of construction was needed turned into a question of how do we successfully move people's lives? The pull that was keeping them from moving was an anxiety. It was wrapped up in this emotion around this inanimate object, but this object that had a lot of meaning to people, this dining room table. It was memories, and there was nothing that they could build, per se, into the condo that could replace it. And so this anxiety needed to be addressed in a different way. So now he understood the job the condo represented to people, which was they were seeking a transition in their life and they wanted to downsize and simplify their living arrangement. He understood the circumstances in which they would switch Oftentimes, this was around the holidays and that kind of feeling of an empty home. And they, and that's when they initially started thinking, all right, maybe I should look into a condo. And he understood the anxieties and the pull away from that move that people also faced, which was they are wrapped up with these memories and they have all of these objects that represent their life. And so how do we design around that pull 
so that people are still compelled to make the move. Because really, the competition was not other luxury condos. It was actually, do I move or do I not move? And so what he ended up doing was actually quite simple. And once he understood the push and the pull and the emotional attachment people had to their current situation, the solution came naturally. They started giving free storage space and they also changed the design of the condominium so that they did have a dining room table that would that would fit old dining rooms or at least have an option uh, for that to be the case. And so with those couple changes, now during that decision period, that time when the customer was making a decision whether they're going to make the move, they had relieved a lot of the anxieties that they were feeling about leaving that dining room table behind. And now they could either take it with them or they could find a family member to take it or they could keep it in storage. But that anxiety was now removed and they were more likely to move forward. And that's exactly what happened. So we're going to learn how to take some of these best practices from jobs to be done, break them down, and see how we can use them in our product right after a word from our sponsors. So if we look at what is a job, a job is essentially the foundation of jobs to be done. And it's shorthand for what an individual really seeks to accomplish in a given circumstance or what job they're hiring your product to do for them. Here's a clip from Clay Christensen, one of the designers of the Jobs to be Done framework. Is that we actually hire products to do things for us. And understanding what job we have to do in our lives for which we would hire a product is really the key to cracking this problem of motivating customers to buy what we're offering. And one of the best ways to understand what is a job in Jobs to be Done is Clay Christensen has this fantastic milkshake example where he was hired to sell more milkshakes for a major fast food chain. They had been doing large focus groups and they had been making changes based on what their customers were saying they wanted in a milkshake. They would make those changes, but they would never sell more milkshakes. So one day he sits outside of the fast food chain and everyone who buys a milkshake, him and his colleague go up and they ask him, what job did you hire that milkshake to do? Now, it's kind of an odd question, but it became the framework for jobs to be done. What job did they hire the milkshake to do? Now, just think about that for a second. What job would you hire a milkshake to do? And so as he's sitting there and they're observing who's buying a milkshake, what they're doing with the milkshake, are they sitting down and drinking and are they leaving? He noticed about 40% of the milkshakes sold in a day were purchased in the morning by people who would leave. They would not sit there and drink it. And so in order to figure out what they were hiring it for, he needed to know the milkshake's job to be done. So he started interviewing those people who were buying the milkshakes in the morning and taking them to go. And he wanted to know why they were buying a milkshake instead of, say, a coffee or an orange juice. 
And what he found was that many of them had a 40-minute commute in front of them. And they wanted something that would quench their hunger, their thirst, and would entertain them on that ride. And in these interviews, there were other items that would come up that people would use on this drive. One being a banana, but it was fast to eat, didn't last long, and it really didn't satisfy their hunger for any long period of time. Another one was donuts, but they were sticky and hard to eat while they were driving. Some other people mentioned candy bars, but they would feel really guilty after eating a Snickers or a Milky Way. But this was much different for a milkshake. For some reason, people didn't seem to mind the ingredients that went into a milkshake, maybe because they were drinking it. It also suited their situation better than, say, a donut or a bagel, which are often messy, especially eating in the car. The milkshake was tidy. It satisfied their morning appetite, and it gave them something to do while driving to work. So through this process, they got a much different answer and insight than they ever would have gotten through a focus group. They realized that by making the milkshake thicker, they could make it last longer, which did an even better job on their commute. And they could make it more interesting by adding chunks of fruit. And once they made these changes, they were able to clearly communicate to their customers that they understood their problem and that they could solve it better than anyone else. They understood it at a deeper level and they understood the job that they were hiring the milkshake to do. So it wasn't just about having a better tasting milkshake. It was about having a milkshake that solved their customers' problems. I mean, really, it's never just a milkshake. So now that we understand the basics of jobs to be done and what is a job, let's take a look at an example from one of our former guests, Dan Martell, when he was trying to figure out what to build for clarity. So I interviewed Alan Clement, who's writing an that is going to be released here in the next couple months when coffee and kale compete. And he brought this story to me, which I thought is a perfect example of finding out the job to be done in a software product. Right off the bat, again, he started learning about solutions that his customers had tried in the past before coming to Clarity. And those solutions ranged from attending a conference using LinkedIn, giving advisor shares to, to someone. And what was interesting, so like right off the bat, those are vastly different solutions, right? One is you're, you're getting in an airplane and you're flying across the country to go to some conference. One is, again, I'm, I'm paying for LinkedIn to get these invites to people. And then the other one is giving away sh- equity, giving away shares in my company to be um, around someone. So the first really great insight he, he got was he actually understood the progress these people were trying to make and that helped him differentiate his product from the other talk to an expert services out there because everyone else out there was just focusing, focusing on the functionality right oh talk to an expert it's a great video call you know talking with the features and talk about how it works but he discovered that that these people they were trying to they were struggling and that they were in these entrepreneurial slumps, like their, their, their motivation is down, I feel lost, I'm alone, 
or we've got this big rollout or the business is, is going out of control and I'm freaking out. And it was not just about getting advice. They were looking to talk to a specific person. And that's actually what it was. He found out that's what, what made him different was that he, he understood that people were trying to get access to some kind of celebrity, someone who they know has been successful in the past. And, and there's that kind of thing where, well, you know, if I work with, if I talk with this person, some of that, some of that success will, will come on to me. I think uh, Dan, Dan there has this great quote. He says, um, he's, there's a big difference between having some guy say to you, go get 10 sales tomorrow and having Mark Cuban tell you, go out and have 10 sales tomorrow. And people would pay a premium for that. Um, and, yep. And so that's how he, he made his, his business different. And so actually, so very cool. Once he understood that the job to be done was not just get advice or talk to somebody. That's just like functional stuff. That's just using a solution. It's like, what's the progress that they're trying to make? And he, he recognized that it's, yeah, get me out of this entrepreneurial slump by inspiring me with advice from someone whom I respect. So once he knew that, he actually started um, to grow his marketplace on the supply side. He actually went to SlideShare and just started looking at people who were posting their slides online. And he knew that, okay, if these were people who were posting their slides online, then they must have some kind of following or they speak at events. And that's how he grew the marketplace that way. That was one really cool insight. Uh, the second one, which I th- think is very, very helpful to him was when he recognized that clarity was a replacement to attending a conference, that's how he understood the profit potential of his business. Because he was, t- he was realizing that people, instead of spending three, $4,000 on attending a conference, which is everything, flights, hotel, restaurants, all that stuff, they would take that entire budget and put it into clarity calls. So when it came time for him to sell the business and also have more, more confidence in himself, he actually gave a, 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 an appropriate number and he actually knew the profit potential. It wasn't just, oh, people will do one or two calls for $100 here and there. No, it's like these people will spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And so knowing what job his customers wanted from a service, he was able to design clarity to directly connect you, the user, to someone who you wanted advice from, that exact person you wanted advice from. And so we went out to build the marketplace. He knew he had to start with the people that people wanted to talk to, who were the names and faces that were prominent in these different areas he was targeting, like marketing, design, development, that people would need advice from. How did he get them on the platform? So he started there and he was able to to build out a fantastic platform where people were flocking to it because they could find the right people on Clarity. And so now we've covered many of the basics of jobs to be done. Now it goes much, much deeper. And if it's something you're interested in, I'll give you some resources in just a second. But first, I want to give you a quick task to do this week. If you want to try out jobs to be done, I want you to take 10 minutes this week and see if you can identify what job your product really does for your customers. Not just the job you sell it to do, but what 
function does it actually serve in their lives? And now let's take that hypothesis and talk to three of your customers this week. See if you can set up 20-minute meetings with three of your clients and verify some of those assumptions. On the call, see if you can figure out the timeline. And I'll give you a link in just a minute. But see if you're able to walk them back from when they purchased your product to when they first thought about your product to identify some of those anxieties and the pushes and pulls they had from your product. And if you do that, let me know. Shoot us an email, team at rocketshipfm, and let me know what you found. I'd be really curious, and I'm definitely down to help you be successful in this. So if you're looking for some more information on Jobs To Be Done, go to jobstobedone.org. There's a ton of information there. You can also go to jtbd.info, and there's some really great templates that you can use on some of these interviews. And tune in on Sunday because we're going to have an interview with Bob Moesta himself on a lot of this information. So make sure you don't miss that because I know that'll be helpful to your assignment this week. You can follow Eric White at Eric M. White on Twitter and keep up with what he's building. You can find Alan Clement on Twitter at Alan Clement. That's A-L-A-N-K-L-E-M-E-N-T on Twitter. Uh, Hit him up and let him know that you want a copy of his book when it comes out. Uh, He sent me a little preview and it is definitely worth reading. So next Wednesday, we're going to be diving further into these customer interviews. We're going to look at how do we use data to inform some of our decisions and how do we conduct a customer interview in order to extract the right information. So that's coming up next Wednesday. Huge thanks to our sponsors in this series Brand Bucket, go to brandbucket.com forward slash rocket ship and find your next company name, domain name, and logo all in one place, just like Mattermark. And Chargebee, the easiest way to set up your subscription billing. Go to chargebee.com forward slash rocket ship and get started for free. If you want, follow us on Twitter at rocketshipfm. You can follow me at Michael Saka and Joel at Joel Goldman. We'll be back here in just a couple days.